0: We work with busy professionals on a one-to-one basis for 6 or 12 months using the latest science and technology. And Body Shop also works with businesses who want to create a culture of energy, vitality and performance and position well-being as a competitive advantage. Find out more at bodyshopperformance.com and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Remove the Guesswork podcast. I'm Leanne Spencer, your host, and this is part two of my, my conversation with Victoria Fenton, the functional medicine practitioner, and, and much more than that. If you haven't listened to part one already, just go back one week, download and listen to part one, because this is obviously the second half of the conversation. i will give you all the context and, and all the previous content that we talked about. In this episode, we're going to talk about how to know if you're inflamed, the concept of the energy jar the role of nutrition and in inflammation and in health in general, the links between depression and inflammation, and what to do if you find that you're inflamed. So we, we really break down some of the stuff you can do, which is far-reaching. It's very much following our body shot and my ideas about interconnected health. So we'll talk about sleep and mental health and energy levels and so on. Another really great episode. It was great to talk to Victoria and pick her brains a bit. We really just scraped the surface of what we could talk about. So enjoy the episode. This is Victoria Fenton. I think a lot of people won't quite understand what affect the environment and, for example, pollution can have Mm -hmm. on their physiology and how that can further impact stress and therefore inflammation. Mm -hmm. Talk to me a bit about environmental toxins and pollution toxins and anything else actually in that context that's helpful for people to understand. Uh
1: Okay, so... In essence, everything that you deal with in life that you ingest into your body in any way has to be metabolized out in some way. It's a simple in-out equation. So that can be the good stuff in terms of food and fuel and nourishment, but it's also the quote-unquote bad stuff, which can be chemicals, toxins, pollutants, molds, viruses, all of that sort of thing. And the liver is the front line for that, actually. It does a lot of that work. The impact of environmental toxins is fascinating in that yes your liver can deal with quite a lot of it but it can have impacts within the way your genes express themselves and that's the science of epigenetics which is where chronomics and their their testing comes in and that's all very fascinating because essentially I think when DNA was discovered we thought that genetics were the key to everything but we've since learned that it is lifestyle factors that really influence the way our genes express themselves. And in amongst that, the toxicity from the outside world can influence, in layman's terms, it's how the genes tighten themselves up or unwind themselves to express different characteristics in different settings. Mm -hmm. Things with cigarette exposure, so smoke exposure, whether firsthand or secondhand, chemical and toxin pollution exposure, they can actually have signatures that we can see across the DNA in the way it's expressing. So within the epigenetic code. And it's very interesting to look at that kind of level of people's impact because we're suddenly looking deeper than whether your liver can handle it or whether your stress levels can handle it or how inflamed you are, actually. We're looking at, okay, so this toxin, this chemical, this pollution stress and it's particularly common in london where there's just a lot of pollution Mm. going into the body the liver is dealing with it in a certain way whether well or poorly but actually we can go a layer deeper and say and because of the way the liver is processing that that's having a consequential effect on effectively the health of your dna and the way it is helping you to express on the surface and it's fascinating also because if you reverse any of those inputs so if you stop smoking or if you really work to reduce your your chemical and pollution exposure epigenetics is a latency factor where you see it for a little bit but you'll see it slowing down in terms of or lessening is probably a better expression the way it's impacting the epigenetic expression so you can recover from this genetically and it's all really interesting in that it shows us that inflammation or the consequence of inflammatory substances can have direct influence on the way our genes themselves express within the cell.
0: Mm. So a lot of it really is about managing inflammation, isn't it? And reducing that. So what are, I mean, I guess pollution is an obvious one, traffic, traffic fumes. Yeah. There was a great article last month all about Roundup. I know that. That's, I don't know if it's environmental or pollution or what, it's probably both, which is, of course, when we eat vegetables that have been sprayed with weed killer or even a close to somewhere that's been sprayed with weed killer and it's in the air. So we don't even have to eat the vegetable. Mm-hmm. environmental toxins kind of are all around us household cleaning products mm-hmm. personal care products I'm well known for getting on tubes and you know, or the train or the bus anywhere mm-hmm. and so I will not sit next to someone who looks very well done up you know heavily made up spray to death with some sort of what do I shout oh carcinogens that's it I'll shout carcinogens <laughs> and move to the other side of the carriage or something I will shout it but I mean, and you can't open a, a window on a bus or a train quite often either. So you're stuck in this carriage, riddled with chemicals. Mm-hmm. It's awful. It stinks. I mean, that kind of stuff is what we're talking about, really, isn't it?
1: Yes. And I, I I think I get an email every single day, at least one from a client saying, thinking about buying a new washing powder, what should I get? Should I go for the one that smells nice and is... is like pretty and is on offer or should I go for the more natural versions and the answer is always the more natural ones and it's not because Mm. any one of these carcinogens it's not because that lady's hairspray is going to really really harm you it's because why choose to surround yourself with more things for your body to process when to be frank it has enough to do yeah yeah and these chemicals are non-physiological your body doesn't recognize them there's no concept of how to deal with that so it becomes a stressor to the system um stress equals a slight inflammatory load and if your liver is overloaded so i get this when i go on the tube a lot (laughs) i will come back up and i'll be craving like a chocolate bar or something sugary because in essence my liver's had to work massively hard on that long tube journey just put smog as well down there and the heat and all of that kind of Mm. and you come up and just like i just need some energy in my liver really and it's glucose that your liver wants at that point so these things have consequences because if i then went to eat the sugary snack or whatever that probably contains preservatives and loads of sugar which is also inflammatory which then causes more issues it doesn't resolve any issues at all
0: Mm.
1: so yeah and I don't ever want anybody to be a panicking sort of Nazi about carcinogens or anything like that, because if you add that stress, that's a problem. If you start to panic about all of this stuff, (laughs) it becomes a catch-22 situation where you're like, oh, God, I'm so stressed about keeping all the toxins out that it's pointless because I'm creating more inflammation by my stress and anxiety.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I don't put any chemicals on my body at all. We're very careful. In the main, our household products are not perfect. Goat milk, kefir soap on my skin, coconut oil as a moisturizer, decent toothpaste, but I then put putty and hairspray in my hair. So the moral of the story is just not to worry too much, you know, control what you can control. My hair, it's not styled today, but it won't stay up on its own. So that's, you know, I will put two products in it and it's not the end of the world. So, and anyway, it's no point me not putting anything in my hair and getting on the train and breathing in other people's perfumes. You know, You, you can't control everything. Yes. How would someone
1: know they were inflamed? It's one of those really nebulous things where you kind of can just feel a bit, bleh, <laughs> which is non scientific, but you can just feel a bit rubbish. <laughs> There's obvious signs like you're holding onto water, holding onto weight. Mm-hmm. You can have digestive issues where you're just like, oh, that's not going down properly, or specific digestive issues, although that ties us into another source of inflammation as well. You can develop some reactivity to substances. So some people develop real sense sensitivity to chemicals like the colour kind of smell and without feeling like going to choke etc all of these are little signals that your body's got more to deal with than it can cope with right it depends what you're dealing with actually so interestingly to talk about my conditions my set of conditions and the controllables that i control i know when i'm inflamed because my left hand <laughs> i don't know why it's my left hand right How interesting. Imperceptible to anybody else, probably. But I then can't get rings on and things like that. So I'm like, oh, there's a stress level that's going on here. And then you, of course, have to go, Okay, so is it life? Is it food? Is it what have I done recently? And... Also, your hormones can go offline. A lot depends on how long the stress has been there for. So Mm. some of the classic symptoms I will see in my chronic illness practice will be things like slight thyroid issues in which I would include hair falling out or lack of hair quality, nail quality being interrupted, skin quality being affected. And the reason for that is when you look at your energy jar, if you're fighting inflammation somewhere over here, there's little hair skin nails that's kind of really down the line of priorities Mm. so with sex hormones so women can really notice if they're inflamed and they've got a stress level that their body's not dealing with because their sex hormones will go slightly offline and whether that is irregular cycles or they're feeling like they're having anovulatory cycles where they don't produce an egg during that cycle or their period changes in its nature all of this can indicate that there is an underlying stressor which is likely to have inflammation as a component. Because it should really be said, and I probably should have said this earlier, that inflammation is a part of all illnesses so whether you're dealing with chronic illness that's autoimmune in nature or gastrointestinal conditions or whether you're dealing with neurodegenerative conditions like alzheimer's or even parkinson's to a degree and indeed with cancer inflammation is part of all of this both as an attempt to resolve but also as a contributing factor to get people to that point of disease in the first place
0: right and very interesting <laughs> I've read some of that with some links between depression and inflammation. Do you have any thoughts on that? It's very
1: difficult what you can claim. Depression is such a, a huge label and it includes so much. There are definite neuroinflammatory situations. They're often closely linked with gut inflammation, but they can be totally independent. And any inflammation creates biochemical consequences. And when that's within the brain, it will affect the release of neurotransmitters and the uptake of neurotransmitters. And as soon as that is disrupted in any way, psychological consequences can occur. So that's not to say that all depression is inflammation related. It's to say that sometimes situational depression, back to one of those totally biochemically appropriate responses to a situation, sometimes depression and a low mood is, is biochemically the right thing to happen. But in essence, because the way the brain works in terms of It's so involved with designing your physiological response to stresses and inflammation. If it's doing a lot of work where it's pretty convinced that there's a threat or an inflammatory need, it affects the way the dopamine is produced because it all happens in the same areas in the brain or similar areas in the brain. So there is it's not too difficult to assume or to deduce. That chronic low-grade inflammation, which is involving a heavy dose of energy drain on the body, plus is creating these chemicals that are going everywhere and disrupting dopamine, which is connected to adrenaline and noradrenaline production. It's not a long like, leap to suspect that these two things are linked. And so too with anxiety.
0: Okay. I just want to talk about one more cause of potential inflammation, then we'll come into what people can do about it. Mm-hmm. Nutrition what people are putting in their bodies and eating and drinking. Talk to me a bit about that.
1: Okay, so a really common phrase that you will hear bandied around is a low-inflammation diet or an anti-inflammatory diet. Mm -hmm. Nutrition is a hotbed of misunderstandings and also vague truths that have been extrapolated into making really huge things. There is no question that certain foods are more inflammatory to your body than others. But there's also no question that within that category, you could actually put quite a lot of vegetables because they're a little bit inflammatory. They've got poisons in them. They don't particularly want to be eaten. Mm-hmm. So, again, we're back to stress, and we're back to healthy stresses, including all the fibers and the compounds on vegetables, which are just a little bit aggravating. But they actually help our body, our microbiome, polyphenols, all of that. So... The obvious things are obvious, in in essence. Really junky processed foods that contain a lot of things that aren't recognised by the human body are inflammatory because the way they get into our system and our our body then sees something that it doesn't recognise, it will create a friction and an inflammatory situation. That doesn't mean they all should be banned. It doesn't mean that you can't cope with those sorts of things. But it is possible to in the main, have a diet which is low in inflammatory foods. And that would basically be a whole foods diet. And that's a really rubbish statement because what's a whole food? And you can get into the semantic arguments and nutrition seems to be a religion these days. But mm. the more natural state your foods are, the more likelihood is that your body is evolved and adapted to digesting and processing it. And therefore, the inflammatory cost will be less. What? One interesting food substance to mention would be alcohol in this. Mm -hmm. So alcohol is a toxin. It's a toxin also influences uh, processing through the liver. And in order to process alcohol, when it goes into your body, your body essentially goes, okay, forget what else is here. I have to process the alcohol out first. Mm So if you're having an alcohol beverage, an alcoholic beverage, The best thing to do is eat the really clean foods when you're doing that, which of course nobody does. People eat junk when they've had alcoholic drinks. So it's one of those things where you just need to balance all of this. And again, I'm not a hardliner when it comes to nutrition, but it is really possible to avoid some of the big hitters when it comes to inflammation.
0: I think we've perhaps become a little bit too obsessive about eating certain types and ignoring certain types of foods. But I also think we all need to concentrate on eating a personalized diet. You can do some testing to find out what those things are, you know, whether you're sensitive to carbohydrate or saturated fat or gluten or lactose, things that are at that point in time anyway, or genetically. I think that's very helpful to eat a personalized diet that minimizes the risk of inflammation through foods. And that's what I endeavor to do probably 80% of the time. This morning, I won't go through breakfast, but it's not ideal, but it's going to be all right. The evening will be, the plate will be covered in vegetables. We're always very good in the evening meals and pretty good at lunchtime as well. But a personalized diet would be a good takeaway for people. I think, you know, just a a little bit of elimination Mm. or just intuitively, what kind of works for you, what doesn't layer on some testing if you want to. And then eat you know, eat a diet, and I like the other thing. I like is food that looks like food. You know, if you're our ancestors, the cavewoman was to come in now and look down at the plates, would he/she recognise what's on it? Mm-hmm. Chicken Kiev, no. Pasty, no. Potato, yes. Vegetables, yes. Fish, yes. So that's a pretty good rule of thumb, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I like that rule of thumb. Actually, would would our ancestors recognise it? I mean, I think. You have to be a little bit careful about going the whole ancestral way because so many modern inventions are brilliant. Franken foods and fake Twinkies, not one of them. Yeah. So in essence, yeah, the 80-20 things, right? I also am very cautious. I work a lot with people who have emotional or psychological problems with food. Mm. And I'm very that whether you're thinking in terms of weight or whether you're thinking in terms of health and inflammation, food is never seen as a compensation factor. So it's not really what you do in the course of a day that matters. It's a general over the course of a week and a month, as long as you're getting everything yeah. and you're really paying attention that if you know you don't eat or like a certain food, which means you will miss out a certain nutrient, you're just attentive to that fact. Mm. But it's not about seeing anything as a guilt Ridden episode. There's no need within food. There's no moralistic content to it. It is essentially what makes you feel good. And as long as that's the priority and you start to mindfully eat and consume and mindfully pay attention to what happens to you after you've fed yourself and learn what feels amazing and feels like you've got energy to go and approach the day, that is personalizing your diet. And then, like you say, if you're confused or you need more help, consult with a professional. Get some more testing if you need to, and then incorporate that into how do I live my life? So, kind of do I have time to cook a gourmet meal every night? Mm.
0: Yeah, completely agree. Yeah, so we've talked about personalising your diet with a good dose of perspective. I would I think we probably both agree. What are some of the other things that people can do to minimise the kind of inflammation that we really don't want on a consistent basis, at least?
1: Yeah. Okay. Sleep. First one. Sleep. I'll go with the first. One. Yes. And sleep. Yeah, I knew you were going to ask that question. How much? (laughs) How much do you get? Actually, I was going to ask. So my sleep is not the best. And it is my health goal of this year, actually, to work on it. Because I think Matthew Walker's Why We Sleep book. Yeah, brilliant book. Amazing book. And he recently did a three-part podcast with Peter Attia, which I think everybody should do because it's phenomenal.
0: I'll link to both those things—the book and the podcast. I've read it and listened to it, and it is excellent. They did a full day of the studio recording that podcast.
1: <laughs> Six hours of talking about sleep, yeah, and not even a break for breath, almost, because it's just—he's passionate about it because it matters so much. Yeah, and we're talking about all of the biochemical reset buttons that would help you cope with any number of stresses and inflammation. It's within your sleep, within a good yeah. of sleep, which has enough deep sleep, enough REM sleep and enough sleep opportunities So time in bed. So so like mm-hmm. seven, eight hours. I know I'm terrible. I probably don't get that. But and in the right part of the night as well. So, yeah, before midnight, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. So that's number But again, with no guilt about it, because a lot of people are so far away from there, that getting to there should be a process. If we're not there, we should sort of just throw everything away and say there's no point. So Mm -hmm. that's number one and and the foundation for everything else. Number two is probably the diet, like we spoke about. So for me, in my health conditions, there are stresses that I can and can't control. The ones that I can control are nutritional in nature. Mm -hmm. So if my diet is on point, I have much more of a buffer zone for everything else. And by me, you'll never see any pictures of food or anything like that on my Instagram unless it looks particularly spectacular because it's not relevant what I eat to other people. Mm. My personalized diet that I've worked out works after a lot of years of experimentation. And if I nail that, my bandwidth for coping with inflammation in other areas is much greater because I'm not inflamed from the food that I eat. Mm. Kind of a key point. Yeah. Then there's other things. Like you mentioned earlier, there are therapeutic tools that we have access to, whether that's infrared saunas. There's a lot of light therapy things out there, which I I keep getting motivated by the efficacy of. I think they're very, very useful, particularly if it's a Mm -hmm. tissue-based inflammation. If you've got an injury, there's red light therapies that you have to be a little bit careful, but there are really good ones out there now that are very reflective.
0: So my wife, Antonia, I'm just pointing to the other room now, has got a full stack that she stands in front of religiously for 20 minutes. Right. I've got the little target light that I used for a bit of a wrist niggle and two days later it was gone. Now I don't know if it would have gone in yeah. You know, in two days anyway. I kind of don't care because there is good science and, as you say, efficacy around this. But yeah, so and we're, we're quite big fans of the red light.
1: Yeah, great. And in terms of has it made a difference, can we tell? In healthcare, particularly within functional medicine, we are not within the scientific randomised control environment where we have to always prove the result. And people criticise it for that. Mm. But actually, when you look at nutritional science, it cannot be studied within the randomised control trial environment. And the same goes for these multiple interventions because effectively, the whole point is to highly leverage the entire lifestyle to support therapeutic impact. Yeah, you can't isolate it who cares if it was the red light that worked or the sauna or the fact that it would have happened anyway. Yeah. You've done everything you can.
0: yeah. That's the way I see it as well. Okay. So sleep, nutrition, other sort of therapeutic tools such as red lights.
1: I'm a big fan of keeping your physical structure in check. Just having it checked over because you can hold tension patterns in your, in your body and that can almost trigger inflammation elsewhere so i'm a big fan of having a friendly osteopath or a cranial osteopath really good cranial rhythms they work with craniosacral fluid and cranial rhythms to mm-hmm. so have physical people in your toolkit so they can just check you over that can be deep massage as well just to release all of these tension lock patterns that you can get into yeah. i'm a sort of huge believer in the physicality of it all being important as well and then you can put supplements on top so there are some really good inflammation based supplements which You can just go for your, it depends what kind of inflammation you've got. If you're in the cold level and you're feeling like your immune system is being affected by inflammation, vitamin C is always a diamond of of, of all these kind of supplements. And just leveraging your diet with vitamin C laden foods is probably not enough. So taking some extra vitamin C is a good good choice. Mm -hmm.
0: Any particular brand you would recommend?
1: I'm a big fan of, and this is not totally... Vitamin C. Oh, um, anything that is without any junk. So effectively, there's a lot of good vitamin C's out there, but it doesn't need to have anything else in. Okay. Liposomal is quite cool because of the absorption pattern and altruents do a really nice liposomal vitamin C. Yeah. So what was that brand? Ultriant. A-L-T-R-I-E-N-T. Altruent. Okay. And they do a lot of nice liposomal things. So they do a B complex, a glutathione. They all kind of work together in this support body world. Hmm. They can just get pricey. Supplements are just get expensive, unfortunately. Hmm. The best, I and it's not a popular opinion, but I like complexes of supplements because you know very intelligent scientists in laboratories have spent a lot of time working out given the data that we have available, what level of each supplement might go into a complex that will help people. So I often find myself recommending inflammation-lowering complexes to people. And there's a really nice one designed for health called Inflamatone, for example. And it contains a bit of curcumin. It contains a bit of all these things. Inflammatone. Inflamatone, yeah. Okay. And it just uh, contains all of the things that you need to support yourself. And, and the good thing is, these sorts of supplements is whilst you probably should take some of them under the advisement of a practitioner those are fairly benign and then they're going to help but they're not going to harm if you don't particularly need them and they are publicly available okay so it's a good one i tend to dose
0: up i'm right up on the vitamin c whenever i feel myself on the rare occasions I myself coming down with anything take tons of that stuff it's, it's unusual <laughs> but the inflammatory one i'll have a look at as well there's one hmm. other thing i'd add to that list of what people can do to sort of combat Prolonged inflammation, and that's something you touched on at the start. It's really addressing cause of stress and getting back to trying to put more stuff in your life that you find enjoyable. Singing and music were the two things you said at the beginning of this recording. That was one of the things that you did to try and restore some harmony in your body, and we call it heartfulness, which is the idea of just of reconnecting with something that you used to really enjoy whether it was a game of tennis or reading the paper on your own or you know, going for a walk and the, sort of the pressures of work and home just meant there was very little bandwidth for people to do that anymore. And reconnecting with that stuff can make quite a big difference to your physiology mm. and your stress levels, which of course will have hopefully a positive impact on reducing inflammation. So that's another thing that I would add in. I don't think people are doing enough of that. We're overscheduled. Mm. There isn't enough, to, you know, it's a perception that you know, there isn't any time to focus on themselves. Mm. Almost a devaluing of the self in terms of health as well you know i'm having conversations with people talking about the possibility of a health program and it's been weighed up and evaluated alongside something like you know extending with a side return and okay you might need more space but what's really more important here is it getting a little bit more space on the side of the kitchen or is it making sure that you've got another 20 years of useful energetic vital life at the end of your lifespan so I think there's some sort of you know reprioritization and the immediate thing you can do about that is just look at what you used to enjoy and how much of that you're doing now and just try and bring a bit more of that that in and address stress from that angle mm. as well as the other really important angles that you've mentioned.
1: I think that's hugely hugely relevant and we call it socialization as well so are you connecting meaningfully with other people yeah. Something that is not related to anything that is, you know, financially rewarding, etc. And for me, obviously, I've mentioned that I sing and I'm a musician. Historically, I gave it up for 13 years. I didn't touch a musical instrument or really open my mouth to sing. And the disproportionate benefit when I started to bring it back in, mm. partly it's vagus nerve activating, so it's hugely nourishing to the system. But I also did it in community choirs. So you gain friends, you gain associates circle and suddenly it was honestly disproportionate the amount that my health and my resilience came on leaps and bounds when I brought those things back into my life yeah
0: yeah brilliant we'll finish now but there's a great book I've just put down you might have read by Johan Hari called Lost Connections have you read it I have yeah. yeah absolutely brilliant and talking about why the causes of depression are actually in far more biological, psychological, and social biopsychosocial factors, as opposed to being anything to do with genetics. Although there is a genetic component, or certainly the myth that was sort of the what is largely a myth put about by big pharma is that it's a brain imbalance, mm. serotonin deficiency. We're actually we're really not thinking that anymore. And he talks about how we need to reconnect with things like meaningful work and values and purpose and nature. Really great book. And again, I'll link to that in the show notes, along with everything else we've talked about. What is the social media handles that you'd like to share with people? And we'll link to all of that in the show notes as well, along with your website.
1: Sure. So my website is the best place to find me, really. That's victoriafenton.net. And then an assortment of things around the social medias but essentially Instagram is where I'm most active okay and my handle is Victoria Fenton Healthcare
0: yeah okay brilliant we'll link to all that in the show notes Victoria thanks so much for your time I've really enjoyed that great to have you back on a pleasure thank you oh thank you interested in finding out what your health IQ is jump on our website www.bodyshotperformance.com and click on take the test It'll take you through to a short two to three minute test. And at the end of that, you'll get a scorecard and a free 39 page report based on our six signals, sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion and fitness. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please think of someone who could really benefit from the content and hit that share button and send it across to them. And of course, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. Thank you very much for listening.